This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. We'll be your host this morning, and we're so happy that you are here. When it comes to restaurants that have a history, community, and service behind them, and of course, good food, we think about the Big Apple Inn in Jackson on Ferris Street. It's Black History Month here in February, and today we are excited to have an old friend, owner, and storyteller, Gino Lee, will join us to talk about the history of Ferris Street, the Big Apple Inn, and of course, to highlight Black History Month. Carol, you and I uh, stayed up as late as we could and watched the Grammys last night. We did, night. indeed. I bet Java lasted longer than we did. Longer than I wanted to. <laughs> this, it's always so long. But I will tell you this. I am a watcher of the premiere show, which comes on YouTube, where they mm-hmm. give away most of the awards. I mean, they only give away like maybe 10 on that on the national broadcast. Right. But like Bobby Rush winning Best Traditional Blues album. I got to see him get on stage and speak. I also got to see another Mississippian um, um, mixing engineer, Cordell, uh, Cortland Liddell also picked up a Grammy um, for his work with um, Best Gospel uh, Song or okay. one of those categories. So, yeah, it was a good night for Mississippi and, and the Grammys. Yeah, it was cool. I, uh, I've i been once and seen it live, and I will tell you this. It is a, a production for television. Uh, live, it's, it's tough to follow. There are many stages. They move the cameras around. It's really about those people seated on the floor, that little oval stage, and then the two stages in front of them. Uh, and it is produced for television, and it looks a whole lot better on TV uh, than it does being in the room. But I will say the one year I got to go, uh, it was a bucket list because – Stevie Wonder was there, and I had always wanted to be in the presence of Stevie Wonder. And he was there again last night, amazingly. Well, my two holy moments last night were Tracy Chapman and Joni Mitchell. Yeah, Queen Joni and uh, Tracy, I don't think Tracy Chapman has performed in such and such years. So for her to hit the stage and, you know, doing her classic fast car. <laughs> she she looked totally awed when she walked out and people went crazy. Like, why why are these, you know. <laughs> Some people, She you just know, had this yeah. beautiful look on her face of, gosh, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. But anyway, that was the Grammys. That was music, and was now music. we we're, talk food. We're going to talk a little about Because they go together. Food. You know, my friend Tom Massey and I drove to Monroe, Louisiana last week on Wednesday to eat lunch. Carol, and uh, for those, and you pass right by Edwards, and you didn't. We, pick you me know up. what? We stopped at Edwards 
to get gas, and all of the electricity in the town was out. You are so correct. It the was whole off town all day. was dark. And as was Bolton, West Hines County. I don't know what the they deal lost, was. They lost their juice, and both service stations mm-hmm. were out of order. So we got back on the interstate. Then we stayed in a traffic jam for an hour. There was some terrible accident that happened. So it was a... It was an ominous beginning, but we drove all the way over to eat at a restaurant that we had seen people talking about on the Internet called the Mohawk, the Mohawk Tavern. It's a seafood. It, it's like a dive bar with, with seafood. Um, and it had a fantastic oyster bar and uh, gumbo, oyster stew, shrimp, really nice, interesting, uh, kind of a downtown place. But anyway, it was worth driving all the way over there. To experience this place, and and a lot of this, I you know, put on Facebook, and people have lots of people have responded to that experience. Uh, so, I we got our curiosity scratched on the Mohawk Tavern, and and we give it uh, we give it the thumbs up if anybody's interested. Excellent. Well, next time you pass by Edwards, I'll stand out on the highway Stop. with my we'll, thumb we'll out. You, you don't even have to come back through the country. All right, so. Um, you know, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. That That's become a food holiday. Some yeah. people may not think so. I think it's the second largest food industry holiday after Thanksgiving. Well, you know, I do love research, and I would just like to announce that there will be 12.5 million pizzas sold on Super Bowl Sunday. That's a that's lot, a of, lot pizzas. of pizza. Yeah, yeah. And, and how I- about those chicken wings, 1.4 Billion with a B. Yes, chicken wings. This is good for forest. That's forests, a lot of chicken for forest, Mississippi. You know that that would be, um, you know, over half a million chickens. That's a lot of yard they have birds. Two wing, yeah. Oh, they have two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of yard. And yard you heard birds. it first, right here on Deep South Dining. Chickens have yeah. Come on, weigh two in. Wings. Weigh in. Weigh in. <laughs> so it's not one point four billion chickens. It's. Uh, Seven hundred million. It's a lot. I'm it's just interested in in the pizza. Like right after chicken wings, immediately it's pizza. Yeah. And I don't even think about that, but people love pizza on, so, on game day. So yeah. what is going to be going on at the Java household? Oh, a lot of a lot of sauce, a lot of cheese, and you know we'll figure out ways to put those things in just about whatever, from nachos to wings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I bet there's going to be some rotel dip going on. What do you think? Probably now? a lot of that going down. And see, I'm a chili person. I love for chili. The Super yeah. Bowl. You know, Bruce Browning and I used to drive over to Arkansas, get a room on one of those rivers that are stocked with. Um, Trout, and we would pick up barbecue in Memphis uh, at, at various rib joints, and we would take it over, and we would camp out for the, all of the Super Bowl weekend, uh, Riverside, and we would fly fish and watch the Super Bowl. And I miss that tradition. Now, how does one watch the Super Bowl? Well, we had when a room with a TV in it. Ah, no, was that a okay a, a streamside motel? Okay, <laughs> this would be on the current or buffalo. Yeah, I think it was current. Of, but you know, they release the water, and you have to scramble out. You, you got to be on your toes to, to fly fish in that in those places. But later on, uh, back to the Super Bowl. Later on in the day, after the food festivities uh, unfold, 
There will be a football game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Taylor Swift Chiefs. <laughs> and that's on February the 11th. Yeah, so, that's who are you been pulling some for, crazy Carol? going on. I'm, I'm a Kansas City fan. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was always a Kansas City fan. He used to go to the games and... Um, you know, and, you know, speaking of ribs, KC's got some really fine ribs. Oh, they Kansas do. City style. Yeah, the, when it comes to, the like, food, I think about the Super Bowl, like, San Francisco versus Kansas City, Kansas City barbecue, and I guess San Francisco is, like, West Coast seafood. Seafood, and great bread. Kind of, you know, uh, Asian flavors with big Chinatown and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah, but um, actually, chocolate. That's right. The famous Russell Stover's mm-hmm. candy was birthed in Kansas City. So you can have chocolate after you have your Kansas after you have City your barbecue. Ribs. But if you're having a big Super Bowl throwdown and you've got some unique culinary offerings, we invite you to join a conversation and share with us what's going on in your crib. But we're going to be joined here shortly uh, by our good friend uh, Gino Lee. Yeah, we've and been pretty excited all week since excited. we heard very that excited. he was coming. And and this is, uh, in part, uh, the celebration and acknowledgement of Black History Month, which was originally established in 1976 by then-President Gerald Ford, of all people, uh, through the good work of Dr. Carter Woodson, who had pushed for a long time to embrace African-American studies, African-American week, and then later African-American month, and then Black History Month. Um, And every year it has a theme, Carol. Did you know that? I did not. So the 2024 theme of Black History Month is African-Americans and the arts. Wow. Well, there's a rich history. It explores the key influences African-Americans have had in the field of visual and performing arts, literature, fashion, folklore, language, film, music, architecture, and culinary. Well, there you go. So aren't we timely? Well, you know, I would just like to say, too, it February is indeed Black History Month, but Black History Month is every month on Deep South Dining. Oh, of course, of course. And you know why they chose February? Tell me, Malcolm. Java, do you know this? I believe it has to coincide with um, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And Frederick Douglass' birthday. The two of them celebrated birthdays in February, and that's why February was chosen. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's a bunch of jokes about Black History Month being the shortest month and stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to dive. <laughs> we don't uh, have to dive. <laughs> yikes. I didn't think. It's also leap. Doesn't leap day. Or yeah, it's like sometimes you get an extra day. Sometimes you don't. It's a, it's it's very, a lot. It's very African It's a lot. But it's because of uh, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass' birthday. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the real reason. But anyway, we. we. I have learned something new. Now, we're going deep this morning. <laughs> yeah, we are. That's the great Bobby Rush talking about the Big Apple Inn on Ferris Street. And, and, you know, that clip is from a wonderful film by Joe York called Smoke and Ears. Welcome, Gino. I bet that was fun to film. It was a lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. (laughs) And we still get a lot of feedback from it. 
Yeah, and, and it's searchable. If you just go online and put in Smokineers, it will come up or there are several stories about the Big Apple Inn that have that link in it. But it is a highly entertaining and educational 28 minutes. Right, it is. It tells you about the history of the Big Apple, tells you the history of the Fer- of Ferris Street, and it, it's really entertaining, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Are there other musicians? I'm trying to remember. Jesse Robinson. Jesse. Jesse was in it, yes. yes. Yeah. Jesse was in it, too, yes. Yeah. So, so, Gino, you're fourth generation, and not a lot of restaurants can say that. That's right. Isn't that, isn't that wild? That's amazing. 84 years. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, th- I talk about Howlin' Mouths being 37 or 38, and I'm like, that's a long time, but nah. <laughs> not compared to <laughs> not where you come from. Not compared to that. <laughs> Tell us a little uh, story, a little history about your family operation there on Fair Street. Well, you know, it's it's neat how you were talking a little bit about um, the, the restaurant in, in Monroe. When you call it a dive, that's what Ferris Street is, or, or that's what Big Apple Inn is. It's a dive. It's one of those places that's been around forever. Um, it's a generational business. My great-grandfather opened it in 1939. I mean, not to open up a cool restaurant, but just to find a way to make a living. Mm. And you're... Uh, great-grandfather was from Mexico, is that correct? Right from Mexico, never legal here. His name was Juan Mora. People couldn't pronounce Juan here, so they called him John. And he was a short, fat Hispanic man, so they called him Big John. So a lot of people, you know, don't even, if I, if I ask you if you go into Big Apple Inn, they won't know what I'm talking about. Some people, if I say you're going to Big John's, they know right away. Yeah. <laughs> How, that, that is so great that that legacy it's still that they still remember Big John. Right. And in well, fact, a lot of people don't know my name. They call me Little John. <laughs> now, Big John uh, passed when? I think it was like 1975, I think. Okay. Yeah. Right about the time I got here. And that, it was called, I mean, Michael Rubenstein turned me on to the, to the Big Apple Inn. And I think he knew Big John. I think he used to put him on the, on the news and, you know, for, for uh, enlightenment. And, uh, but Rube used to take me down. And we'd get the smokes. Uh, I tried the ears. Uh, but, uh, you know, Carol, you a ear girl? I'm a, I am not an ear girl. Yeah. yeah. But Java? Joe York, uh, when he was making his film or somebody interviewed him, he said, they're, they're like oysters, only better. Okay. <laughs> it's a texture thing, Java. How it, do you it feel? Is, I will say it is a texture thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mild smokes guy. I can't do the hot. That's just. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a, I'm wimpy when it comes to hot food. But how did the the pig ear sandwich like become a? Because I mean, come on now. We famously say the rooter to the tutor, but the ears too. <laughs> Everything. Nothing goes to waste on a pig. Well, my great grandfather, when Big John used to go to the butcher every day, this was before refrigeration. He'd have to go every day to the butcher to pick up his smoke sausage. It was made right here at a little place called Jackson Packing Plant. And he'd go pick up his smoke sausage, and one day the, the guy said, well, well John, you're, you're picking up smokes every day, the smoke sausage. I'm throwing away these pig ears. Do you want them? And he said, yeah, I'll figure out something to do with them, and brought them back to the restaurant and figured out a way to cook them. Now, do, do you find them in other locations? Uh, do you see, like, other soul food joints across the south serving the pig ear sandwich? Or is you it, do. Like, in fact, um, pig ears are pretty common in yeah, the south. In I fact, you so. see them in the grocery stores and all that. And um, it wasn't until um, Anthony Bourdain came down that he enlightened me that the pig ear has become a staple throughout 
white tablecloth culinary restaurants throughout the United States. And he said that, that was that a lot of these fine dining places capitalized on something called peasant food. Hmm. You'll go to New York and you'll find this great pig or appetizer, dice it and make it nice and pretty and charge $25 for it, you know, when it was something <laughs> my great-grandfather used to get for free. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the pig ear was also used when you're talking about peasant food. I mean, it was it was used as a protein when people were uh, really poor or mm. yeah maybe even in slave it would be diced and put in greens or some other food as protein very much so um everything that you know i think it probably started around slavery time yeah whatever was left on the pig that was normally thrown away by the slave owners the slaves got the rest of it, pig feet, pig tail, pig ears, pig snout, and they figured out a way to make it food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, your great-grandfather started with a tamale cart, is that right? Not a cart. He was oh. on the side of the road okay. on, 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 in front of – you know where the Alamo Theater is on Ferry Street? Sure. Sat right there on the ground, had a fire on the ground with a tin drum, and sat on the ground and sold tamales. At that time, there were two guys, in, in, two Hispanic guys in, in, in Jackson that sold tamales. My great-grandfather, and he sat still right there, and there was another guy by the name of Mexican Joe. He was big time. He used to put, put – had a push cart, and he'd push okay. it all over downtown Jackson. Wow. So it started as a little tamale uh, – I don't don't call it a stand, I guess. Or would you call it a I stand? I guess a stand, yeah. yeah. I just sold them. And moved into uh, a physical place in – 39. 39. Okay. And the menu today is made up of what? We just have six items on our menu. We have smokes, which is a smoked sausage. And we take the smoked sausage and grind it up and put it on a slider bun with a mustard sauce, slaw, and our homemade hot sauce. That's our biggest seller. Number two is a pig ear, and that's exactly what it is. And the same condiments go on the same size slider bun. And then we have hamburgers, hot dogs, bologna. But they're a little bit different than your normal hamburgers, hot dogs, and bologna sandwiches. And then we have hot tamales. And that's it, six Hmm. items. Now, how are they different? You said they're a little different. Well, the hot hot dog. Well, the hamburger is um, we, we use no ketchup and we use no um, must. I mean, no no ketchup, no mayonnaise, no onions. We put the same thing on every sandwich: mustard. It's a mustard sauce, right. slaw, which is shredded cabbage, and our homemade hot sauce that my great grandfather made. And the sauce is made from the meat that we put inside the tamale, so it gives it a, a distinctive flavor. Which so, is beef? Which is now turkey. Yeah, turkey is what uh, some people use. Yes, we use turkey. Okay. Now, it seemed like turkey held the flavor better, mm. and that was changed to turkey probably around 40 years ago. No. Well, now, you, it, this is not a, a dough burger or a slug burger. No, it's not. It's an all-meat burger. It's an all-meat burger. Mm-hmm. It's an all-meat burger. Do you fry the bologna? We do. We do. And a lot of people want it charred. You know, get a little yep. bit of black on it. It's a, it's a thick piece of bologna. We fold it in half and put it on the same size slider. Wow. Yeah, and they're, and they're amazing. Everything is amazing. People ask all the time, why don't you sell chicken? Why don't you sell fish? Why don't you sell pizza? You know, if you want pizza, you know where to go. If you want chicken, you know where to go. Right. But if you want a smoke one ear, there's only one place you can go. Okay, so, let's talk about the tamales yeah, a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're still making, you make your own tamales. Our tamales are still made um, um, by hand. My wife, Angie, makes all of our tamales. In fact, some people refer to them as heavenly hot tamales because when she makes tamales, she prays over every tamale. Wow. Every tamale. Now, we have a hot tamale machine, uh-huh. but we've, we've found that the hot tamale machine doesn't put enough meat in it, so she rolls every tamale by hand. And this is done at your home or at the At the at restaurant, the yes. Okay, so you have space for production Yes, in the like back. That. On Ferry mm-hmm. Street, we have space in the back, yes. 
Okay. And the second location, which is uh, on North State Street, does it have the same menu? Same exact menu, yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. the location is for our listeners? Um, 4487 North State Street. It's so funny, Michael, we mentioned that because we refer to that as our new location. And we've been there 20 years. <laughs> but in, 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 refer- in, in comparison to 84 years from the other right. one, yeah, it is new. <laughs> yeah. And you're in the uh, old Primo's Northgate location or in that? Across the street. Across the street. Across the street. Yeah. In the Northgate Shopping Center. Northgate yes. Shopping Center. Okay. Malcolm, I'm hungry for a fried bologna sandwich <laughs> for lunch. Man, I could do that. Do you know, t- walk us through the pig ear preparation uh, and how it is cooked and presented and, and what's on the sandwich, the whole production of the pig ear. Okay. Well, pig ears, as I said, they're, they're not hard to find. You can find pig ears all over the country now. Now, we order our pig ears um, by the 30-pound cases, and they come in 30 pounds, and they come like a big frozen block. And we have to defrost it, and then we cut them. And, they're, they're, and the ear is pretty big. If you put both of your hands together, they're still and, – and, and fan it out. A, a pig ear is actually bigger than that. Hmm. So one pig ear you can cut into three pieces. Okay. And we'll take those three pieces and, 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 and have a big pot of ears. And we put them inside of a pressure cooker with a half a cup of salt and pressure cook it for half an hour. You pressure cook for half an hour, but it takes about another 45 minutes for the pressure to build down. And then it gets tender enough, fork tender. In fact, if you put a fork in it, it will probably come through the pig ear. And um, we take one or two pig ears and put it on a slider bun with Mm -hmm. the mustard sauce, slaw, and our homemade hot sauce. And it's really good. And people wonder, what does a pig ear taste like? And this is the way I like to describe it. You can definitely tell that it is pork. If you close your eyes and bit it, you can tell that it's pork. If you, ever, if you ever had pork belly, you can tell. You know, it has that same pork flavor. So if you can imagine um, bacon that's not cooked crispy mm. and a lasagna noodle cooked al dente yes. by at the same time, that's a beer. <laughs> Good description. <laughs> wow, great description. Yeah. So uh, tell us how they were cooked in the early days because I think it was not by pressure cooker. No, it wasn't. Um, when my great-grandfather first brought the pig ear to the restaurant, he said, i got to figure out a way to cook this thing and to get it tender enough to put it in a sandwich. And he boiled it for a day. It still wasn't tender enough. Boiled it for two days. wasn't tender like he liked it. He figured that if you boil a pig ear for three days, three days, mm. it becomes tender enough to eat. <laughs> Isn't that wow. wild? Thank goodness for the pressure cooker. <laughs> right. Now, y'all have been on Fair Street a long time. You've seen a lot of coming and a lot of going. And uh, I know at one time, Fair Street was referred to as Little Harlem, and that was a very prosperous time. That would have been during your great-grandfather's time or grandfather's time? Great-grandfather, grandfather, and actually my father. My father was born in 1939, so he remembers the heyday of Ferris Street mm. when it was a two-way street, and at night it was a walking room only, I mean, similar to Beale or Bourbon Street. Yeah, right. They remember all that. Lots of clubs, lots of restaurants. Lots of shops. Yeah, clothing stores, grocery Mm -hmm. stores, everything was right there on Ferris Street. You know, yeah, over the years, there have been so many attempts to bring Ferris Street back. Do you see anything getting any traction? No, I don't. Um, there's been there's always a lot of talk. And um, I guess it's okay to say this. You hear a lot of talk during election years. Yeah. You know, oh. I'm going to bring something back to Mississippi. We're going to make an entertainment district. We're going to have a viable tax base, a strong tax base in downtown Jackson. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot of campaign promises and then nothing until the next four years. Right. Sadly. Uh, but you're hanging in and doing well. I mean, right. I mean, your business is thriving. 
Well, we keep our doors open. You know, it's yeah. one of those things with the restaurant business, as you know. You know, um, in, in our kind of business, um, business is great or it's terrible. There's never like this middle ground, right, you know. Right. Sometimes, you know, and that's before lunch. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you know, you just never know. Right. Um, it's just, it's just one of those things. Now, my great grandfather and my grandfather, well, mainly my grandfather, told me when I got the restaurant, when I bought it from Dad, he said, "Gino, I will tell you a little bit about the restaurant business." He said, "I can promise you this," and I'm thinking he's, he's about to give me these great words of wisdom, and he said, "I can promise you this: you'll never be rich." <laughs> And I said, well, thank you, Papa. That's what you got for me. <laughs> then he added, but you'll always be satisfied. Uh, and I've always go. been satisfied. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, so when you say, are we thriving? I say yes, because we're, our doors are still open and I get to meet a whole lot of, a lot of cool people every day. And uh, unfortunately, Peaches uh, closed, what, how many years ago now? Uh, Peaches been they closed. were hanging in them yeah, for a long time. Yeah, a good. They've been over ten years now. They've been closed, but yeah, that was that was a staple in the area too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to touch on the civil rights movement and the role the restaurant plays because I, I've read uh, a lot about it that you were a gathering place for civil rights workers. We were, and um, I'd like to say that the Big Apple Inn was really instrumental and played a big role in the civil rights movement, but, you know, not really, but it was a gathering place because at the time, um, in the in the place we are right now, when we opened up in 1939, we were actually across the street. The building we're in now was built in 1952, and we moved into that building then, and upstairs, after there were a few apartments, Mal- um, yeah, Malcolm, not Malcolm X. Medgar, um, Evers. Medgar Evers had an office space directly mm. upstairs when he was field secretary for the NAACP. Right. And one of his duties was to organize freedom riders when they came to town. Now, his office was a 10 by 10 square foot room, which wasn't big enough. So he had his meetings and gatherings inside the Big Apple Inn. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it, it, it really it really is. But I, I've seen it you know, mentioned in different histories, uh, but, I, but I, I didn't know, had no idea about Medgar Evers having his office over it. Yeah, yeah. It was directly upstairs, and um, and the meetings lasted there for for a while until we started failing health inspections, fire marshal inspections, and different ah. things like that. So my um, great-grandfather and grandfather had to put a stop to that, but they said they still wanted to remain involved in the movement somehow, so they opened their house to any meetings. or And one thing that they said was if any Freedom Rider was ever arrested, they would take their personal money and go bail them out of jail. And that's what they did. They brought them home, gave them a meal, a new set of clothes, and said, go back out and fight some more. Wow. That's good stuff. Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Gino Lee is our guest today, and we are glad to have you here, old friend. Uh, Gino from down on Ferry Street, the Big Apple Inn, also has a location on uh, North State Street. Um, he's We refer to it as the new location. It's been open for over 20 years. <laughs> How many employees do you have? I just have four employees at each location. All right. Keeping it, keeping it small, oh, but yeah. efficient. Keeping it real. Yeah. <laughs> now, on the break, we were talking a little bit more about the evolution of the pig ear, how it went from a castaway, a throwaway uh, back in the day, to really quite a prized and expensive item now because of the competition. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I call, I call it the evolution of the pig ear. Remember, my great-grandfather got it for free. It was something that the butcher was throwing away. 
Um, after a while, the butcher started charging him a little bit, though, because he found out he was making a profit off of it. Well, it you know, got a little more expensive throughout the years, but when I took over the restaurant 25 years ago, I think I was paying like $13 for a case of pig ears, a 30-pound case, and now I'm paying $130, $130 for a 30-pound case. And what are the pressures for, I mean, what's the competition? Are there more people selling pig ears or do they use them for something else? Yeah, pig ears have gotten popular within, in the dog chew market. Uh, if you go to PetSmart or any other major dog food or, or any pet store, you'll find pig ears. And what they do is they smoke them and they dry them and dogs love them. <laughs> and it's driven up the price of pig ears. I need <laughs> This is something we share with man's best friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's driving the price up. That's driving Suddenly the Suddenly there's up. A, a secondary usage. Right. And then knows? chefs like probably like Thomas Keller or some of these fine chefs that are doing pig ears uh, right. are driving the market. And Carol, just like your, just like your chicken wing, there's only two, two ears. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> two ears. Well... Two ears it. and you get three three cuts out <laughs> of your two ears. <laughs> but I love it that uh, that somebody owned maybe it was one of the articles that that I read said you got to order a pair of ears. That's right. So is that what people one. come to the counter and go I want a pair of ears? No, yeah, but we have some 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 interesting people. They give me two listeners. And they're talking about ears, you know. But, uh. <laughs> All right, we uh, promised to talk a little bit about this upcoming uh, Jackson Food and Wine Festival, and I know Gino, you're involved in that. And Carol and I have been scratching our head trying to figure out exactly what is. We know it's on March the second. We know it's at the Mississippi Museum of Art. We know you're involved, uh, Nick uh, Wallace is involved, Cat Cora is involved. Uh, other regional chefs, Hunter Evans, Enrica, our friend Enrica, uh, is involved from the coast, Austin Summerall from the White Pillars, Vish Bot, one of our favorite guests, uh, Chaz Lindsay, uh, Joseph Sambu, who we've had on the show a time or two, and many others. So tell us a little bit about the ja- upcoming uh, Jackson Food and Wine Festival. Well, I think it's going to just be a great time for people to sample our local cuisine. I guess, but not just local. We have a lot of international people coming in, too, or national folks coming yeah, in. Yeah, I see some of the chefs are from, like, Chicago and New York and Asheville, North Carolina. Right, and some of those are, like, Food Network chefs. You know, Buddha Lowe was on, you know, he competed against um, Nick Wallace on, what, what show was that, Shopped or, or one of those shows. Um, I think, I think um, DeMar right. Brown was one of them, you know, and so they're all coming in. Cat Cora, oh my goodness. It's yeah, Jackson's yeah. own Cat Cora. Cat Cora, right. yeah. We she haven't seen Cat in a long time. Was she a Grand Marshal? She was the Grand Marshal of the Parade one year, and she grew up in the Jackson Greek restaurant community. Uh, yeah. Her parents were... Uh, they didn't have a restaurant, but she grew up in that tradition. Um, Jackson Public Schools, yep, University yep. of Southern Mississippi, before she made her way to California. Right. <laughs> so do you know anything about the layout, um, the programming, or is it too early for all of that? Well, I'm not involved in that part of it. I'm just um, – but I'm sure it's going to be very similar to what – happen at the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. It's just a lot of food vendors and a lot of drink vendors just 
pushing their wares on everybody. You just pay one price to get in and eat and drink as much as you want. And are there dem- will there be demonstrations, cooking yes, demonstrations? there will be cooking demonstrations, and those are going to be probably from the, the, the Food Network people. Like right. Cat Core will probably do a great cooking demonstration. Nick Wallace, our own Nick Wallace. Um, Vish will probably do one, you know, mm-hmm. Vishbot. And, um, yeah, there will be cooking demonstrations, how to make different cuisines, and, you know, and then sampling of all that. And it's just a – it's just a – it's going to be a fun, fun event. This is our first one, so we're, we're, we're kind of excited to see how it's going to turn out. But from what I hear, ticket sales have been incredible. Now, Gino, talk about your time with the um – Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, because I myself see this uh, in a similar similar light with the Jackson Food and Wine Festival. You've been out to the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival representing um, Jackson amongst some of the other, uh, you know, people who are out there. So just talk about that experience um, at Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. Because that's a top-tier food event it in the really country. Is. I had no idea how big it was. Now, they told us to prepare enough food for 3,000 people a day. Wow. I think yeah. it was more than that. <laughs> um, it was it was it was crazy. People came from everywhere. I didn't realize how the, the 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 reach that the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival had. I met so many people from from different parts of the country. Not only that, but press, Food Network was there. Um, just people come from all over just to try different cuisine. And it was Mississippi came strong. Um, we had a group of Mississippi folks. There were five of us, I think. Um, Forklift, um, Cooper Miller from Forklift in mm-hmm. Tupelo, which he's going to be here at the Jackson Food and Wine Festival. Michael Carr um, from Ridgeland um, was there, and I think he's going to be at this Food and Wine Festival. Um, and various others. We had somebody from the coast, a couple from the coast. But um, I think that Mississippi came strong. In fact, I, I contacted or stayed in contact with a lot of people from the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. A lot of them are coming to the Jackson Food and Wine Festival when they heard that we're having our first annual one. That is fantastic. I attended the first two and was a speaker and then a panelist. And, you know, it was a new idea, trying to get everybody on board. And it was wonderful, but it's nothing like the numbers that you're seeing today and I was thrilled when the state of Mississippi decided to be a part of that because Mm -hmm. I I think it's really put us in the national spotlight and it's honored many of our chefs that nobody would have ever known about outside of Mississippi. Right. Kudos to Visit Jackson, Visit Mississippi, the local palate. For um for for doing something like this, I really do I really do think this is going to put us on the map. You know, um, Dallas Food and Wine Festival is huge. Um, I don't know if New Orleans has one or not. Atlanta's huge, and we're right in the middle of mm. all that. There needs to mm-hmm. be something like that here. This is going to be our first one. It's going to be a one day event, but I can I can see it building to a three and four day event. Yeah, and we will certainly talk more about it as we uh, approach March the 2nd, but uh, there will be over 20 local and regional chefs, as you say, beverages, live music, all of this taking place on the grounds of the Mississippi uh, Museum of Art, featuring chefs, demonstrations, I would imagine gadgets and gizmos too, Carol, what do you think? You know, I don't think there's ever a food festival without a gadget or a gizmo. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'll I'll be very interested in that. And also, I bet there'll be some cookbooks. 
Yes, yes, our favorite. We got a caller. Um, Mary is calling in from Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning, Mary. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. And you? Great. Good to hear from you. Well, uh, years, decades ago, I was at a church luncheon, picnic actually, out on the lake here on, near Oxford, and some Oriental people, I don't remember what uh, country they were from, but they served a, a green salad, you know, a regular salad, and had a little uh, white um, square pieces of pig hair in it. Hmm. Very crunchy. So I didn't know if anybody had heard of serving pig in his pig ears and salad, but it was very good. Wow. Back, back when I was eating meat, I don't eat meat anymore, but it was very crunchy. A so pig ear salad? Fried. It would be a fried pig ear, Mary? No, no, no. 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 I think they had, uh, I don't know if they cooked the pig ear before or hmm. skinned it after, but you take the skin off. And what you have left is the white cobwebs, and they cut it into little square pieces about, I don't know, maybe at the most an inch square, and it was very interesting. Oh, do you know? Have you ever heard of the pig ear salad? Um, yeah, I have. Um, in fact, pig ears are very, very popular within the Asian culture. Um, in fact, there's some restaurants here you can get pig ear. You can go to um, Mr. Chen's, yeah. and they have, a, they have a pig ear appetizer and a pig ear entree. So, yeah, um, pig ears are very popular within the Asian culture, and they cook it different ways. Carol, one popular way is, as you said, fried. That's a, a fried pig ear. It cut it in strips and deep fry it. That's a very popular way. Mary, the way you talked about it is very popular, too. I've never heard of just taking the skin off of it, but I've heard, them talk, uh, I've heard of talk um, kind of sautéing it, then cutting in small pieces so it still has a little crunch and it's still tough. But, yeah, um, it's very, very popular within the Asian culture. Wow. Well, Mary, thanks a lot. These were white, so I imagine they took the skin off because it looked like just the, the white cartilage. Okay. Yeah. But when you boil yours, they're white, right, Gino? Well, or not? Um, no, they're, they're more of a brown color. Like okay. Tan, yeah. So the, in order for it to be white, I guess you would have to skin You would have it. to take the skin off of it. Very interesting. Mary, thank you so much for listening and for calling and sharing uh, about the pig ear salad, which uh, we had not touched on before. We had been sort of stuck on sandwiches. Carol's got a picture of the pig ear salad over here on her phone. Looks like an Asian restaurant with, uh, it looks sauteed maybe. I can't really, yeah, marinated. Yeah, it's a beautiful salad. It's like you said, it was, it's cut into into strips. Strips, yes. But just, just glancing, many, many Asian recipes when yeah. you know when I, I googled it and also the Portuguese. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So and you notice on that picture there, um, it still has the the skin on the outside of it, and the middle part, the little thin part, that's the cartilage that's on the inside. The white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and most people will, I would I would assume, would keep the 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 skin on or the outside on because that's where the flavor is. There really is no flavor in the cartilage. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Uh, we we never know of what our listeners can come up with. That's that's great. But you know, back to the uh, food festival. Now, what will you be doing? Will you be doing a demonstration, or or will you be just serving your wares from from the restaurant? <laughs> it's so funny to ask. I'm I'm really not sure. You're not sure. I know I'm going to be there. Um, I'm prepared to cook. You know, a lot of. It, 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 when you have that many people come, it's hard to cook on site because people are coming in droves. 
But in Atlanta, we actually cooked on site, and that made it really neat. So our booth was very, very busy because people love to see the food cooked in front of them and then serving them directly off the grill. So whether we're doing a demonstration or just cooking to give away, we'll be cooking right there on site. So well, you're lucky Gino's, to be close by. I said, I love right. what Gino's saying. They called. I'll be there. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> did you so, serve your entire menu? No, we just did smokes. Just smokes? Smokes, yes. Now, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. Um, I might do smokes and ears since my restaurant's only, you know, a couple blocks from the site. Right. You know, and I can get my product really, really quick. But when in Atlanta, I really couldn't cook all of that, especially for so many people. Wow. So people would buy buy a ticket and they sample all the food. They right. just walk around and and there were so many vendors in Atlanta. You couldn't you couldn't possibly hit all the vendors. You'd be too full. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's exciting. Gina, one thing I'm wondering is what are your favorite places to eat now in Jackson? Wow. You know, it changes quite a bit, but I think that everybody in my family we just love Asian food. And yep. we go through different stages. Like we, get, we we might get in this Korean kick for a while, and we want Korean for a while. And right now we're in our Thai kick. So, <laughs> you know, we in fact, and it's, it's wild how we all go through it at the same time. My daughter, my oldest daughter, lives in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta in, in Dallas. And she called yesterday, and we asked her, what do you have for dinner? She said, Thai. I said, we're eating Thai right now, too. We all go through these things at the same time. My baby is in, in Oxford, and, you know, this week she had Thai. I'm like, so we just, it's wild how we all go through it at the same time. But let's see. So some of my favorite restaurants around here, are you asking for names? Yeah. No, don't get, no, in, don't no get Gino in trouble. Okay. Oh, just, do we get him in trouble? It's like okay. a Grammy speech. You left my, you left my name know, out. Right? You, left you didn't, you didn't say out. thank you to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I do like, I will say this. Um, we eat local, always, always. We will always go to locally owned places. Yeah. You know, um, not the change are bad, but um, I want to support local because I know how hard it is to operate a local business without yep. corporate funding coming in from you know from other ways. Have you ever been approached, Gino, by some of this corporate funding? You know, to I don't know, maybe. Snatch a little piece of the business and, and and spread it out, or you know, I don't know. No, Java, we haven't. We have been asked about franchising, but franchising is hard for our product because they don't ship Red Rose smoke sausage out of the state. Right there, you go. You know, I did a food show in New York years ago, and um, and I did smokes and ears for a, a for the New York Food and Film Festival. And I told them to order the order my product. They were able to get the ears easily, but they couldn't get the smokes. I had to carry three hundred pounds <laughs> of smokes with me on the plane. <laughs> who wow! Pa- who packs the red rose? Polks now. Polks. Picky people. Picky people pick, pick polks. polks. That's, that's right. right. Down on Highway Forty Nine in McGee, Mississippi. That's right. So if that's the source for you. Yes, that's right. For, for the smokes. That is the source. And the ears come from everywhere. You can get ears everywhere. Everywhere. You okay. know. Yeah. Right. Isn't that wild? You would think it's the other way around. Yeah, you would. You would. But uh, the so you take the red rose and sm- smash it, as I recall, with a with a griddle iron. Is that is well that used how you to? Do it? Used, used to, to. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. Now I put it through a grinder. <laughs> so it comes, but you don't use the casing at all. No, you we take don't it use out the of the casing. Take it out of the casing and mm-hmm. then grind it up. Yes, grind it up. Hmm. Now, Gino, have you ever 
done any, I know, maybe experimenting just off off menu with other kind of meats and seasonings to get that that flavor, but that red rose is just what, what packs that punch. Well, yeah, because um, we were on the verge of closing down a little over 20 years ago, or whenever Jackson Packing Pant closed down. Right. They were the only ones who had the patent for the red rose smoked sausage. And um, we heard they were about to close. We bought thousands of cases and got in touch with our local grocery store, and they stored it for us until we can find either somebody bought the patent to continue making the red rose or until we found a substitute for red rose. We got down to our last 100 cases, and nobody bought the patent, and we experimented with other sausages, and nothing was Mm. similar or the same. And we thought we were about to close our doors. Wow. Yeah. And the last minute, um, a small packing plant out of – I forgot the name of the town. It was called Hickory Hollow, I think, bought the patent, and they continued making it, and then Polk's bought it. So we were saved by the bell or saved by the pig. (laughs) (laughs) Saved by the squeal. That's right. (laughs) But it's got to be great to do business with the Mississippi company. It really is. And um, I would love to get my product directly from them. Mm. You know, because I could probably because I have to go through a third party, Cisco U.S. Food or somebody right. like that, right, right. and I got to pay a premium price. And um, Polk's, I went to Polk, and they said that um, they would love to get it to me directly, but um, they don't want to make their third party people. That's mad. not how the pig squeals. That's right. Nah. Because what I wanted to do was, since I take it out of the casing anyway. That they could do it for you That's there. right, because they're putting it in the casing. Just don't put it in the casing for me. Just send it to me like that. Yes. Free, free enterprise. It's right. the American if, way. <laughs> anyone from Polk's is listening. Yeah. Right. I think we can make an exception. Throw well, our buddy Gino uh, in the air. Yep. For the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, Polk's gave me the meat. Oh, and they wow. actually sent it out there for me. And sent it to the hotel and had it stored for me. Um, 200 cases. I mean, wow. 200 pounds of um, red rose smoke And they gave it to us. That's 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 good. pretty awesome. It's a yeah. good. It's a good. Have thing. you have you prepped them for the Jackson Food and Wine Festival yet? Um, you, no, I haven't. But they sausage. might do the same thing because we did a great commercial for them too. Was, uh-huh. on, our, on our on our big Apple Inn table on our stand out there, we had a very big pig on there. They had the Polk logo and all this, and oh, we did a commercial yeah. for them out there and thanking them. But yeah, Polk has been a very big supporter of the Big Apple. That's great. I just drove by there the other day coming back, you know, when mm-hmm. both of us were on the coast last weekend. That plant is huge. Yeah, it's it looks like it's getting huger. Huger. <laughs> huger. <laughs> and you can smell it coming. <laughs> All right. Well, Gino, thanks a million uh, for coming in and, and sharing your Monday morning with us. And we want to remind all of our listeners, when you're in Jackson, Mississippi, go down to Ferris Street to the Big Apple Inn. Get yourself a smoke and or an ear or a burger or a dog. Get that famous coleslaw and that homemade hot sauce. Ain't nothing like it. Gino, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And we'll look forward to seeing you on March the 2nd at the first annual Jackson Food and Wine Festival at the Mississippi Museum of Art. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. And we are funded by the generous contributions of our listeners like you. We thank you. The show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Palmer, special guest, Gino Lee. I'm Malcolm White, and we ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's program. Now you're talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And join us each Monday and Sunday at 9 a.m. for more Deep South Dining. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.